That's my main thing that I try to tell the kids. If you want to be an artist, you don't need materials. You don't need fancy things. You don't need anybody to tell you're an artist. You, you just are an artist and you make stuff out of stuff that's around you. Hello, my name is Barbara St. Clair. I'm your host for Arts in AI, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. My guest today is James Oleson, who describes himself as an alchemist. And I want to start by asking you, James, what is an alchemist from your point of view? Well, from my point of view, an alchemist is, I collect things that um, people discard or and people throw away, or, and I also collect parts and um, materials that were just around all the time. And I take these parts and pieces uh, usually I don't know what they're going to be yet, but I just collect them and then I, they sit in my studio. And when they sit in my studio for enough time, they get turned into art, whether it be um, made like as a sculptural relief and used, you know, where I will use like wood and um, ways to fabricate it together with like screws and things like that. And some of it becomes a uh, torch cut and welded together to to create sculpture a lot of times um, I feel like an alchemist because I go to also spaces like walls and things areas that you know need love and are kind of like in disarray and then you know they get painted and they get something put on them they get things added to them to um, turn them into something more interesting to look at than they were before it's kind of like a happening, you know, you can go sit in front of a wall and just sit there for a while and see what you see. You know, just wait to vision something that it might be. And then you can, you know, just take all this various different paint products and things like that and create a piece of art. And it's almost, it's almost from scratch. You know, a lot of times um, the paint is donated or collected. You know, a lot of it's different different house paints and different, just it's almost like this weird plastic material that you just mix up in these different barrels and these colors just come out and you just use those colors to create something. So it's almost like creating something out of nothing, like creating something from scratch, maybe like a, like a, a recipe or something. It's just like a lot of the things that I collect I, um, most of the time they're trash to a lot of people and then I turn them into something that has value or, or I hope that does. Well, one of the things that always is interesting to me about an alchemist is this notion of turning lead into gold. And as you were describing your art, you said things need love and they're in disarray and then you use your alchemic magic to bring them into a higher level or playing a new role in the world yes absolutely something like that and it's and it's like that it's like you know the lead represented something that people didn't really care about or something that people didn't really want and the gold representing something that's like now something that somebody might want or somebody might see something in so it is it is kind of a, a sort of alchemy and there's magic involved too it's you never know what it's going to be or i don't usually and just by sitting in front of it or like looking at it and maybe like sketching or something. And um, it just, it comes up and it's all there. I mean, we're like surrounded by materials. So there's like no reason to not make things. Um, you know, a lot of people like uh, think that you need to have all this fancy materials or, you know, these 
you know, all these things like palettes and brushes and easels and things like this. And that's not really necessarily the case in the way that I look at it. I feel like that we're just surrounded by all this material. All this construction is being taken down, businesses. I mean, there's all this steel, there's all this concrete, there's all this wood. And it just goes to landfills and, you know, gets a big plastic bag wrapped around it and some more dirt over it and stuff. And I think it's um, it would be great if more people were creatively using some of this waste. So you are both a 2D artist, and by that I mean painting and murals, and a 3D artist. And to some degree, we've been talking more about your 3D artwork. And I took a look at it this morning, and uh, I've seen some of your work on display. But looking at your website with your portfolio, there's a couple things that jumped out at me. And I, I would say that I see this in your sculptures, and I also see it in your painting, but I want to talk about it in terms of your sculptures right now, which is an interest in the shape of the body, and then a very deep interest in the face. So you have sculptures of a number of animals, quite a few horses, and some other, some fantasy animals, I think. Uh, but what I do notice about them is often the face of the animal is looking out at us, either with sort of curiosity and interest and maybe some compassion, or else it's very fierce, sort of very dramatic and expressive, but sort of uh, powerful. And, and, and the, the story it's telling is maybe one of uh, forcefulness. And I wondered if you would talk about uh, what you think about when you're sculpting a face. What's, what's happening there? Well, um, a lot of times it's pretty intuitive, what I, how the way I work. I'm kind of, as far as and then face in general, I'm looking for that expression. I'm I'm trying to find it, especially in sculpting, especially in sculpting in a fast material like clay or something like that. It's it's almost like finding this expression. I don't know if it's going to be happy. I don't know if it's going to be sad. I don't know if it's going to be inquisitive. I just know that it's in there. A lot of part of my, a lot of my work is is bringing that out. So it's a discovery for me too, to a certain point. And then you see it, and then it's just a matter of, of finishing it off and getting it to its completion. So as you're working with the sculptures, what point do you start to have a sense of the personality that's coming out of that work? Well, um, I mean, since it's kind of created from nothing and it just kind of comes out, I don't I don't really have a lot of expectations on what it might be, or, and I don't really want to, like, change the process, you know, with my own, like, with, like, my own personality, and, you know, I kind of, like, don't try to put that in as much, I just kind of, like, kind of try to see what comes out in the work, and the fact that it may be a sculpture, or it may be a painting, I really feel like those things are, the like, they're the same, like, it's just art, you know, drawing, painting, and sculpture, I mean, two-dimensional work is kind of like the illusion of depth, you know, using shape. And three-dimensional work, it's just the actual depth. You can walk around it, you know, so they're not really any different. Like, you know, the more you draw, the better sculptor you are. The more you sculpt, the better painter you are. They all kind of feed into each other. And I throw them in the category of just, you know, my art. It doesn't really matter what the medium is. You know. So do you work on both different kinds of things at the same time, or do you have a sculpture going and a painting going? And a no, I always have multiple things going on at once. I want to be like that, but um, especially like in Florida in August, I want to say I don't want to weld 
sculpture. It's super hot, all the gear, all that stuff, you know. So I say, I'm going to paint, you know, in the summertime and um, do more sculpture in the winter. But it's that's not really how it ever works out. It's just basically um, I get inspired by something. It may be inspired by, like, looking at a piece of steel or a piece of equipment or a piece of something or um, I get inspired by looking at the, the shape um, of a wall or a space or what it could be and um, I just kind of plunge into that. So how did you get into art in the first place? Were you always uh, drawn to it as a child? Did you come into it as an adult? I was always drawn to it. Ever since I was really young, I, um, you know, painted at my parents' businesses. And like, um, you know, I did my first mural when I was probably like eight or nine years old. And, you know, I did it with um, Sharpies. We went to Panama City Beach with my parents and I saw people airbrushing the t-shirts. So by the time I was 11, I had an airbrush t-shirt shack in their business where I was, you know, I talked them and talked my parents into getting me an airbrush and I was, you know, airbrushing like Bart Simpson and Tasmanian Devil and stuff like that, you know, by the time I was 12. And they have an interesting business. It was a zoo, an aquarium, and kind of like an old antique Florida shop. And I just had stuff. I just had material around me. I, you know, I was very interested in the animals and things that they had. They have a 13,000 gallon aquarium and all this different stuff. It's like a roadside attraction type place. I would just always, I always made stuff. Now, I mean, I continue to make stuff. They have dinosaur caves there and they bring in all the school groups and different things and do like educational tours and, and you know, it just, I can't think of a time when I didn't make art. There wasn't a time, really. So developing sculptures that require welding, that's not something, you know, any kid can pick up watercolors and start to paint or draw with Sharpies, as you pointed out. But developing sculptures and learning to weld and working with metal, that requires uh, some schooling, I would guess. Or Not really. Um, basically, I teach that class now at the Morian Art Center and have for the last six years um, because it's easier if you have some guidance and probably safer to have some guidance. But... Um, I really didn't. I really kind of knew that I could do it. I acquired a welder from my grandfather. He had done some sculpture and a lot of sculpture and stuff. And um, when he passed away, I acquired a, a welder. And I just kind of taught myself how to do it. I made a lot of mistakes. But in making those mistakes, I kind of learned and developed new techniques um, along the way. So it was like this journey of learning. I mean, I when I learned how to do oxyacetylene torch cutting, I learned it from the guy at the welding shop. He showed me in the back of my truck after I bought the the welding gear, you know. So he was like, I mean, he had seen me in there buying stuff for the welder. And, you know, I didn't know how to cut. And um, he showed me in the back of my truck. So it's just, you know, if you want something, you can just go do it. So you're one of these guys who say, I want to make something. I'll, I'll teach myself the technique to make it. Absolutely. You start with a, the desire to, to make something. So... What are you working on right now? Well, we just finished up a mural last night um, in Safety Harbor. Uh, Zulu painter Carlos Colbertson and Derek Donnelly and myself. So that was a fun one. You know, we did like, it's a big mural with like sea grapes. You're kind of looking through the sea grapes and there's like native wildlife and stuff. And, you know, um, parts of their city was involved. So that was a fun project. I'm also working on... Um, 
you know, some large sculptures uh, for myself. Some of the stuff I'm doing lately is um, fire sculpture, where basically I take like a steel rod, like a solid steel rod, and I bend it into the shapes to, to make it into a large sculpture. Like the last one I did uh, was called the Phoenix, so it was this large bird. And then it's basically sculpting a wire frame, and then I take wax. First I dye the fabric the color I want, like a muslin type fabric, and I dip it into wax, and um, then I'm able to put it on the sculpture. So what it does is it's like a, it's a colorful fabric skin that's applied with wax directly to the steel. So it gives it like a, a, a colorful skin and I'm able to um, put light on the inside and it um, has the form of like a Japanese lantern. So it's this beautiful, it's this beautiful sculpture at that stage of it. But then of course, you know, it's also a giant candle made of wax. So then I can, you know, take it outside, light it on fire, let the whole thing burn and then you still have remaining the, the steel structure that's, that's underneath, so. And like the Phoenix, you know, it kind of talks about rebirth and stuff like that, so. Friendship Day was, you know, when I had the, the fire sculpture. I didn't burn it, but I showed it, that's what I used the grant for, and um, I used it to make, um, to make it and put it in its illuminated candle version. So um, it was called Night of the Phoenix, and I invited um, everybody to come to Bloom Art Center and have the unveiling of that fire sculpture in it in that stage of its process. So, what is Friendship Day? Uh, Friendship Day was just something that we found on the internet, and I thought it was interesting and a good thing. And it was close to the day that we wanted to have the show, so I thought we could combine the things and just have people come out and enjoy friendship. And the also the Phoenix talks about like rebirth and like growing and stuff like that. And I thought that could be something that, you know, people could enjoy. Take a little bit of time and, you know, enjoy your friends. And what was pretty amazing is um, I'm working, working, working. I'm running out of time, dipping the paraffin wax, you know, and stuff and getting it on the sculpture. You know, uh, I had a lot of friends that came up you know, in the last couple hours or whatever that needed. And, you know, everybody got together and helped me to get the skin on it and get it lit properly and finish it up before the show opened. So um, it was that was pretty neat that that happened like that on Friendship Day. And then do you redo it, put more wax yeah, on it? Or? Yeah, and more wax. You change the colors, anything that you want to do. It was a fun thing that we did at first night, too, also last year was we had people put their intentions on the fabric. So they wrote on the fabric. Then we dipped it in the wax and put it on the sculpture. So everybody's intentions were able to, you know, go up in flames and everybody came around to, to you know, help light the sculpture and celebrate on first night. And what's really fun about building a fire sculpture is like the stages, you know? Cause I mean, it's, it's interesting to me just to build the form and it's almost like this giant skin of whatever you're making. And um, then the, the fact, you know, even like dyeing the fabric, you have so much control over the color that it's going to be. Um, so you dye the fabric and um, you dip it in the wax and then you put the skin on the piece. And then when you just put light inside it, it just it just glows. It's just like this. It's like a, it's like a Japanese candle or like a, um, 
like you know almost like a like i don't know i've seen like dragons and stuff that they pull down the street and stuff made out of like a silk and things like that so it kind of it looks like that because it doesn't really feel like it's fabric anymore because it's like hardened just a little bit from the wax but um it retains all the color and it's just like instead of like something being lit up it then takes that color and lights up the room so um it's kind of like illuminating i don't know um how to explain it but in that stage it's really beautiful i'm not as beautiful as beautiful in the day you know more set up for the night and then, you know, since it has that stage, it's like, um, that's the, that's the best way to keep it in until you burn it, you know, and then, you know, you take it and, um, put it to wherever you're going to burn it. And then the burn is relatively fast, um, because it's hollow. It's a giant candle. So maybe like 15 minutes or something like that. And they say that you can put different, I don't know, maybe if it's different salts or something in it to, um, make it burn different colors. I haven't experimented with that yet, but. The initial burn is fun. I've always found enjoyment um, in the welding and different things like that, being kind of like a, I don't know, pyromaniac or something. But, um, you know, it's just fun to weld. And I mean, it's fun to light things on fire. So then you light it on fire and I mean, it goes up. I mean, the, the last one that I did, um, the Phoenix sculpture was I think 12 foot tall. So it probably will go up into flames at about, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 feet. Um, at its peak so it's just like this giant intense flame and then it's all gone except for what remains is all the strength that you had before all that thin steel but together it's very strong you know and um, you just have basically that that first stage again where you started um, after it's burned so it's and then you can you know rethink it again it sounds very cool i i like the metaphor you you know it's beautiful it lights things up you burn it 30 feet flames in the sky and then the core is still there strong and ready for whatever comes next mm -hmm. all that steel is just super strong and it's just like a it's just like a candle and it's just like a stage and you know it has nice stages I came, I came about the fire sculpture technique thing um, on accident, really, because, you know, I had done sculpture before, of course, and I would, like, used, I had, like, made a skin before, but usually I would go ahead and, um, you know, I would make a structure and then I would skin it in steel or I would skin it in um, other, other found parts, wood or, um, you know, even fabric I've um, experimented with a little bit, but um, I had never thought to make something make the skin um, like see through or have color or anything like that. So when I, when I learned that like I could make this giant wax candle and I could take the fabric and dye the fabric to whatever color I wanted, that was like, you know, I was like really excited about that. And then when I found out that the, that's in between stage that I could light it up like the Japanese lantern, you know, I was really thrilled on that because that was basically just by working on it at night, being able to see through, have it shine through because it's thin fabric. So it's just the light just shines through it and whatever color you've um, imprinted on it with the dye, you know, just illuminates. So I was really excited when I found that out. And then it just, you know, took a little bit of time. I was like, oh, well, I can build a sculpture. I can show it at this stage. I can then go burn it. And then, you know, kind of you know, like have all that, you know, all that content with, with one sculpture, so. <laughs> Your murals are, are throughout 
the St. Petersburg area? Yeah, I have some St. Pete and a few surrounding areas, yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your favorite mural that you've done. Um, wow. Hmm, I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite. Usually the ones that I like the most are the ones that I've done lately, you know. Um, the older ones, you know, you tend to say, oh, maybe I ought to do this a little different now or whatnot, and you don't like as much. But um, probably the the one that um, that you can see from 375 and Bloom Art Center is the one that, um, you know, I like the most because it actually we have people pulling off the interstate to, um, you know, see the murals, and then they walk around all of Bloom, and they come in and check out the art center, and, um, you know, there's a lot to see there. There's um, there's 10, you know, 10 studio artists there and probably another five or 10 artists that, um, you know, help contribute very much to the, the scene that we have here, the art scene that we have here in the murals. And we collaborate there together and we have collaborative shows. And, you know, it's, it's a fun place to be and it's a fun time to um, be able to help uh, push this art into the city and um, you know have everybody just enjoy it and, and watch it grow and like I feel like it's a pretty amazing place to be St. Pete right now because it's like we're very accepted as artists and um, people are letting us you know create more and more and share it. So tell me how did you get the idea for Bloom Art Center and how long has it been in existence? Bloom Art Center has been in existence for three years and basically it's the same idea that I had at the Olsen Gallery on the 600 block is where um, it was where it started. I had a small gallery there and um, we had shows in combination with Blue Lucy and St. Paint Arts and a few other galleries that were on the 600 block. Um, we started painting the whole back alley and stuff and kind of started that going. And um, we had a little small area and a lot of artists didn't have space. They were coming and making their work for the show that we were going to have later on that week, you know, just in the back and just, you know, finding materials, finding wood, really just dragging anything they could to put together, you know, to really just come up with paint. It was kind of like, seemed like it was a struggle. I guess it was the recession. It was, you know, 2012, 2013 and stuff like that. And we were, um, you know, just trying trying to put it together. And then Bloom, to me, was a bigger, that, that idea just bigger, a place where people could come and make art and have space and collect things and just kind of do what they wanted to do. Because a lot of times, it's, you're not really, people don't, don't really encourage people to make art, or they might, but they don't really encourage people to make art to where they say, all right, well, here's the space and here's some materials and here's some paint and we've got some brushes and some rollers and, you know, do what you want to do, do what makes you happy, do make something, you know? So that's just kind of the idea about it. And then what happens is the more artists that you're around, they, um, they just like elevate you and they help you to, to grow. And together we like critique each other and different things. And it's, it's just a really good thing that we have going right now. did something with Alice in Wonderland at the Bloom Art Center, is that right? Yes, um, we had a show that was based on Alice in Wonderland and it was an amazing show. It was called Down the Rabbit Hole. We probably had, I would say, around 15 to 16 artists all come together and we turned Bloom Art Center into, uh, you know, an interactive installation that um, had so many different ideas on the story and um, 
what Wonderland could be. And so we basically turned it into our own personal Wonderland. It was maybe the best show that we've ever had. You know, we had a great attendance and so many people dressed up and getting into character. And, you know, in the gallery, we had these large tea parties with everybody in full costume. And artists have so many different takes on it, especially, you know, a story like uh, Alice in Wonderland. You know, there's just so much to draw from as an artist that you can just, you know, really get into it and, you know, make it your own. Well, that experimental activity goes back to the alchemy thing of if I add a little bit of this or if I do this or if I leave it sit overnight maybe something some change will happen and I will have something new absolutely yes so talk to me about creating a mural with two other artists the Zulu painter and Derek Donnelly three artists together and how that process works and you know, do you start each with a different corner and meet in the middle? Do you plan it? Talk to me about that process. Well, um, you know, and collaborating with somebody, you have to, I think, to, to make a good mural and make it look like a mural that maybe only one artist, one artist did, you know, you don't want it to look like a mural that three artists did, maybe. You want it to have, like, um, some kind of cohesion. So we talk about, like, the background and different things being solid all the way across. We don't, like, try to break it up into different sections and have this artist style and this artist style and this artist style. We try to like make a blend of all the artist styles together. So we talked about it and came up with a background and the kind of visual thing that we wanted to have. And then we kind of um, put our certain characters on into that world that we created. Basically it's like create the world, then create the characters. And then as you put in the characters, the characters are more like you. You'll be able to say, oh, if you know the artist, you would say, oh, that's what James did. Oh, that's what Derek did. Oh, that's what Zulu did. And you, because you, you want that. You want the artist to have what they do portrayed. So, you, but usually that's in the character. So like if it was a three person collaboration, there might be three, three characters or three main characters and um, all the rest, the artist's probably worked on together the background and stuff you know so when I look at your painting and and there's again I'm seeing a lot of faces and and they're either looking fierce or they're looking out at you and there's a sort of phantasmagorical quality to the images and the faces no I just think they um they are what they are because that's what they wanted to be I didn't really plan, you know, and, and I mean, there is cases where I develop a character in my sketchbook and I really like it and then I put him out big, you know, but um, for the most time, most of the time, it's just, I, you know, I see this face, I see the area, I, um, you know, come up with maybe like a small sketch or something just to get the, the shape of it, the shape it will be on the wall per se, or the shape that it will be on the canvas. And then I just let things happen. So they you know? surprise you. They surprise They'd... me. Mm-hmm. They introduce themselves to you as you're painting them, essentially. Right. Absolutely, yeah. And when you feel that sense of surprise, what's that like to be surprised by your own work? Well, um, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a little magical every time and, and pretty amazing. And it's like there's that time after you finish something that, you know, I'll just like look at it, stare at it, and kind of reflect on it. And But, you know... I don't know. It's just kind of hard to explain. It's like um, you could have an idea of what something is going to look like. It never looks exactly like the idea you had in your head, but it's always 
always doing in the way it comes out is the way it feels like it's the way it should have came out. So very cool. Yeah. So when we're talking about murals, generally, I think we're talking about the St. Pete area and Florida area. But when we're talking about sculptures, you have sculptures in lots of different places. Mm-hmm. Where are some of your sculptures living at this point? Um, well, yes, I do have sculptures all over. Um, a lot in the Midwest. I, I do something called the Midwest Sculpture Initiative. And um, Michigan and Ohio and states like that kind of have um, some of my sculptures on a rotating basis. So they will go from city to city, and they're kind of juried in to that city, and they usually stay there for a year, and then they go to another city. So they're, they're like on a, on a traveling thing. And since they're made out of this um, large, heavy steel, you know, they, they last in big snow and all that stuff that we don't even have to worry about down here. I guess we have some saltwater issues that are kind of rough on steel, but... Um, you know, they last really well, and, um, you know, people get to enjoy them at new places, and people get to purchase them and um, share them and, and collect them. So it's pretty exciting. So do you miss them once they leave? No, no. That's what they're supposed to do. It's pretty much, I do a lot of public art with the murals and the sculptures, so it's basically like they're not for me. I just make them. So it's like um, as soon as you get finished... And you put it out there, it's you don't really own it anymore. I might still own it, you know, but um, you know, it's like it's like for the people. So what's next? What's next on your agenda for uh, your personal growth as an artist? Well, I'm learning all the time, and um, I feel like I'm growing all the time, and it's always that meld between the paintings and the sculpture and combining the two elements. You know, it's been it's been that way for a long time. But again, you know, I don't really know yet exactly, but um, I know like the directions I have and, you know, I kind of like sketch on a continuous basis. Like I feel like drawing is essential, so I always draw. I always am able to pull from that. I always collect materials, even if I don't know what they're going to be yet. Um, Sometimes it takes me six days before I use it. Sometimes it takes me six years. And I just, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly where I can, where it's going to go, but like, I have like these many visions of it, you know, it's, um, it's large and pretty, pretty, pretty magical and amazing. Being an artist only has to do with you. Um, it doesn't have to do with like things that you have, materials. Materials are all around you. So, like, if I if I'm doing a demonstration for kids, I'll bring instead of bringing a, an easel in, I'll bring a ladder. Instead of bringing a canvas in, I'll bring maybe some kind of a signboard that has actually like for sale or something written at the bottom. You know, that I'll just easily just paint out or use part of or something. Um, a couple cans in my pocket, maybe house paint cans of spray paint and maybe like some house paint and a couple of brushes you know that look like house brushes four inch brushes paint your house style brushes not like uh, artist brushes so I'll make sure I bring in no kind of material that really looks like it costs any money or that doesn't look like it's in everybody's garage currently right now just sitting there and I try to teach the kids that the they're the art the art is in their mind the art isn't about 
going and buying materials and, you know, having your parents come and buy you these fancy oil paints or canvases or anything like that, that like they can always find pencil and paper and draw out their ideas. And that um, there's always boards and signboards and leftover, you know, pieces of fabric and material that they can use. And they can even leave some of the some of what's on it, you know, and it can make it more interesting because of what's on it. You know, so that so that's my main thing that I try to tell the kids, you know, if you want to be an artist, you can, you already are, you don't need materials, you don't need, you know, like fancy things, you don't need anybody to tell you're an artist, you, you just are an artist, and you make stuff out of stuff that's around you. Well, I thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. And this is Barbara St. Clair here with James Ullison, the sculptor and painter and muralist living in St. Petersburg, Florida. You've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, our wonderful production team. And you can hear more of their great work and some wonderful conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists at our website, creativepinellas.org. This is Barbara St. Clair. Thank you for listening.